I've been preaching from a Bible reading plan called the Lectionary, and the passage I'd like to look at today is from Jeremiah chapter 20, starting at verse 7. You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I'm ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. I hear many whispering terror on every side. Denounce him. Let's denounce him. All my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying, Perhaps he will be deceived. Then we will prevail over him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. So my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. Lord Almighty, you who examine the righteous and probe the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them, for to you I have committed my cause. Sing to the Lord. Give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jeremiah was a Hebrew man born in the 7th century BC who was called to serve the Lord as a prophet for about 40 years of his life. Jeremiah received direct revelations of truth from God, uh, which he then proclaimed to his people, the people of Judah, was a prophet. Now, now you and I uh, should not expect to serve as prophets in the same way that Jeremiah did. We're not called, you know, to write new books of the Bible and add them to Scripture or anything like that. Um, But as members of the Church of Christ, um, we do, in a sense, we do have a prophetic role to play in our world. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 13 says that the church of the living God is the pillar and foundation of truth. God God has entrusted his truth to us, the truth of Scripture, the truth of the gospel, and God has called us, the church, to take his truth to the world. Now, to some degree, we might uh, do this in our personal lives, in our own private uh, sphere of of influence, Um, but it's primarily, I think, in, in in our corporate life together as the church, as a community of faith, Uh, that we are to hold forth God's truth to our generation. Now, if if we do this, if we play this kind of prophetic role and hold hold forth God's truth uh, to the world, three three questions if we do this. First, what will we face? Um, And then second, what will we need if we're going to face that? And then uh, third, where will we get uh, what we need? All right, so let let me work through that first. What what do people face when they take the truth of God um, to the world? Well, judging from uh, these words of Jeremiah that we're looking at today, they face pain, lots and lots of pain. Uh, Jeremiah lived during a time in in the history of of God's people when when the, the nation of Judah, that was his nation, Judah was drifting farther and farther away from the Lord and from his covenant. They were, they were forsaking God. They were turning to idols. Um, they were beginning to look more and more just like all the other nations of the world. 
In, in Jeremiah 17, we read that they were beginning to neglect the Sabbath, uh, this, this wonderful gift from God, a day of rest, a day of worship. They were neglecting the Sabbath just so they could make a little bit more profit from their businesses. In, in chapter 5, we read that they were becoming very wealthy as a nation, nation but, but their wealth was primarily produced by exploiting the poor. Um, chapter 5, verse 28 says, Their evil deeds have no limit. They do not seek justice. They do not promote the cause of the fatherless. They, they do not defend the just cause of, of the poor. In, in chapter 5, we also read that there seems to have been an increase in the, the degree to which sexual immorality was acceptable in, in their culture. Uh, in chapter 5, verse 8, God con- compares the, the people of... Uh, he compares the people of Judah to horses. He said they, they are well-fed, lusty stallions, each neighing after another man's wife. So that, that was the culture in, in which Jeremiah lived, a, a time when God's people were drifting farther and farther away from him. So, so Jeremiah was sent um, not really to condemn the people, but to warn them, to, to speak God's truth to them, to call them to come back, to return to the Lord, to the covenant, and be forgiven. Well, as you may know, um, the people did not receive Jeremiah's message uh, very kindly. I guess it, it seemed it seemed kind of unpatriotic to them for this guy to be going around speaking openly about their national sins. In fact, in the passage, the verses that that immediately precede the passage that I read for you today, uh, we read that um, uh, a priest named Pashur, who was in charge of the temple in Jerusalem, when he heard the kinds of things that Jeremiah was was preaching to the people, he was so angry by this that he had Jeremiah arrested, he had him beaten, and it says he had him put in the stocks for an entire night. And to be put in the stocks was really a form of torture. It, it was, they were twisted into an uncomfortable shape and, and just forced to endure hours and hours of pain when sitting there like that. So that's the context. It's, it's, it's after this night of pain and humiliation that we come upon these words of Jeremiah that we're looking at today. They, they start like this in verse 7. Jeremiah says to God, he says, You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. He's basically saying, God, God, you, you, you tricked me. When you called me to be a prophet, you didn't tell me it was going to be like this. You tricked me, God. Now, that's not really true. If you, if you look back in Jeremiah chapter 1, when God called Jeremiah to be a prophet, he said very clearly to Jeremiah, these, these people will be against you. They, they, they will fight against you. It's just like Jesus told us. It, it's very clear in the New Testament. He told us that if we follow him, we should expect to face rejection and ridicule and persecution. But So it's not really fair, but th- this is the way Jeremiah felt. He's just, he's just expressing his heart. He felt overwhelmed, caught off guard, uh, by the kind of pain that had come into his life as, as a speaker of God's truth. Middle of verse 7, he says, I'm ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Verse 8, whenever I cry out, whenever I speak, I cry out proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. I wonder if anything comparable to that has ever happened to you. I, I don't think we've we perhaps suffered to the, the degree that Jeremiah did. But have you ever been um, have you ever been misunderstood because of your beliefs? Have you have you ever been rejected? Have you ever have just been kind of dismissed as irrelevant for, by people? You know, for for Jeremiah, 
the people who were treating him this way were, were even the people whom Jeremiah loved and trusted. They were turning their backs on him. He says in verse 10, I hear many whispering terror on every side. Denounce him. Let's denounce him. Who, who was saying that? He says, all my friends. All my friends are waiting for me to slip, say, saying perhaps he will be deceived and we will prevail over him and take our revenge on him. Now, now later in the chapter, if you read on, starting at verse 14, it gets even worse. Je- Jeremiah, he, he expresses th- this deep anguish. He is so miserable. He curses the day of his birth. He said he, w- he wishes he had never been born. So <clears throat> what will we face if we, if we uh, take God's truth to the world? Well, if it's anything like Jeremiah, we will face pain. And that is what Jesus told us to, to expect. Uh, we saw that in, in Matthew chapter 10. He said, said if we follow him, we, we shouldn't be surprised if we find that we're, we're feeling alienated, even from members of our own household, even that don't fit in with our family anymore. In, in verse 22 of Matthew 10, Jesus said, you will be hated by everyone because of me. Well, what would that be like to be hated by everyone? I, I, I guess we could assume that if we, if we follow Christ, you know, everyone, progressive liberals will hate us if we follow Jesus and Right-wing conservatives will hate us if we follow Jesus. So we, this is what we'll face if we, if, we, if we play this kind of prophetic role, if we, if we take a stand for God's truth in our world, we will face pain. Now, second question, what will we need if, uh, if, if we're going to face pain and persecution but not back down? What will we need? Well, we will need conviction. Deep, deep sense of inner conviction that regardless of what anyone in the world says or thinks, just this this deep bedrock assurance that God's word is true. Conviction. The the Oxford Dictionary defines conviction uh, among its, its definitions. Conviction is, quote, a firmly held belief or opinion. Or, or it could mean this, it is the quality of showing that one is firmly convinced of what one believes. That, that, that's, that's, that's the kind of conviction that Jeremiah had. He was just firmly convinced that what, what God was saying to him and through him was true. Now, you get the sense as you read this, at least I do, that um, Jeremiah kind of, re- he was regretting some of the vocational decisions he had made as a younger man. He was, he, he, he was regretting the fact that he was a prophet, wishing that he could no longer be a prophet of the Lord. But look what he says in verse 9. He says, but if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire. A fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. He's basically saying, listen, I wish this weren't the case, but God, you know, God's truth has got such a grip on my heart. It's, it, it's got such a, such a hold over my imagination. Such, it, 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 it occupies my soul to such a degree that, listen, I couldn't walk away from God's word even if I wanted to. It's a fire shut up in my bones and I can't hold it in. So he, he just had this deep conviction, regardless of what it cost him, regardless of what people said, God's word was true. This passage reminds me of a, 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 an event that we read about in the life of Christ in the New Testament, in John chapter 6. At the beginning of John chapter 6, Jesus um, was a very popular teacher. There were thousands and thousands of people coming to hear him speak. But then as he begins to, to 
to speak to them in John 6, Jesus begins to say things that the crowds found to be very offensive, things, things that they did not like, things they, that didn't make sense to them. And by the end of John chapter 6, we read that everyone, everyone deserted Jesus except for the 12 disciples. The 12 are just standing there all by themselves. And Jesus looks at them and says, you don't want to leave me too, do you? And then in John 6, verse 68, it says, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. It just like, like... We can't leave. Where are we going to go? You speak God's words. You have truth. So that's kind of what it looks like to have this, to be gripped by this conviction that even if I don't like it, even if if I'm, I'm suffering for it, even if it makes no sense, the truth of God's word has just grabbed my heart and it will not let go. Someone someone like that in American history, Frederick Douglass, the the great abolitionist. Uh, If you read his memoirs, Frederick Douglass was born a slave in uh, the state of Maryland. When he was a teenager, a young teen, he heard someone preaching the gospel and he had a just a radical experience of conversion, of coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, but he immediately began to have things happen in his life that kind of challenged his faith. Um, so the first thing that happened is his, his slave owners were a church-going family and every Sunday they would go to church and every day they would, they would sing psalms together. But they would just treat him and the other slaves like... like uh, you just treat them horribly. Um, and then, and then um, when he's an older teenager, his, um, his master rented him out to another slave owner who had a reputation in that county for being a, just a very irreligious, vulgar, unbelieving man. And, he, and Frederick Douglass thought, oh my goodness, if, if the Christians are, are unkind to me, imagine how a non-Christian will treat me. And to his surprise, this non-Christian was, was a very kind, respectful, generous uh, man. He treated him very kindly. And, he, and uh, so that kind of sh- shook his faith. Then, if you know the story, he escapes slavery, travels to the north, gets involved in the abolitionist movement, and he finds himself often being invited to come speak in northern white churches that are involved in the abolitionist um, uh, movement at the time. And they, they invite him to speak, but in these churches, because of his race, these, these northern churches treat him like dirt. They're just so unkind to him uh, because he's, he's a black man. And um, you would think, wouldn't you, that anyone who sees this, that kind of hypocrisy or racism in the, in, in the church would just give up on his faith. Strangely, if, if you read his memoirs, to the very end of his life, he just, Frederick, Frederick Douglass held on to his faith and just couldn't stop trusting Christ. In fact, it, it, later in his life, he wrote these words. He wrote, he wrote this, I hate, I hate the corrupt slave-holding, women-whipping, cradle-plundering, partial, hypocritical Christianity of this land. Indeed, he said, I can see no reason for calling the religion of this land Christianity. But, he wrote, I love the pure, peaceable, impartial Christianity of Christ. He's he's like he's saying, you know, listen, I have every reason to walk away from from Christianity, but I just can't. I I love Jesus. One of uh, Douglas's biographers, 
who was trying to explain the, this incredible tenacity that this man had. Tenacity, perseverance, not, not only in his, his personal faith, but also in his pursuit of justice. One of his, the biographers trying to explain this drew a parallel between this passage in Jeremiah 20 and the life of uh, Frederick Douglass. And he said, just like Jeremiah, Fed, Frederick Douglass had a fire shut up in his bones that he couldn't hold in. So th- those are the kinds of deep convictions about, about the truth, the unchanging truth and trustworthiness of God's word, guys, that we are going to need if we're going to have a prophetic voice to the world around us, to, to our culture. Um, now, sadly, um, not everyone who goes to church, not everyone who professes to be a Christian has this kind of conviction. In, in, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus said that uh, many many people, um, their, their interaction with the gospel will be like seeds that are sown on shallow, rocky soil that grow up very quickly, but as soon as the sun comes out, they, they dry up and they wither away. And he, and he says this refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When, when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. In Matthew 24, he said, because of the increase of wickedness, in in the last times, he said, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So many many people don't have the kind of convictions that they will need to hold on to to the truth of God no matter what happens in the world. And, And listen, my prayer for myself, my prayer for you, my prayer for our church is that that will not be the case for us. That, uh, that God will form there's just this kind of deep confidence in the truth of, of the gospel, the truth of the word in our inner character. So for the church to have a prophetic voice, we're going to face pain and we're going to need conviction, deep conviction. Who, who was it? Was it Tom Petty saying that song? I won't back down. No, I won't back down. You can stand me up at the gates of hell and I won't back down. Listen, that's not a Christian song, but would you agree that should be a, a, a Christian sentiment. That, that, like Jeremiah, we would say, listen, um, if, if I say I will not mention his word or speak anymore his name, his word is like a fire in my heart, a fire shut up in my bones. I cannot hold it in. That's what we need. Now, final question. Where can we get that? Where can we get that kind of deep, deep conviction about the truth of God's word? Well, someone says, you know, obviously we just need to, we need to study the Bible more. You need to start reading the Bible. Well, you know, it's, it's not a bad idea to read the Bible, but, you know, let's remember, um, it was the Bible scholars, the Bible experts, the scribes, they called them, who, they were the ones who wanted to have Jesus crucified, Right? Well, someone says, of course, it's not just reading the Bible. You have to pray as well. Again, remember, the Pharisees, they prayed. How many times a day did they pray? They fasted twice a week, and and yet they hated Christ. Well, someone says, okay, it's not just Bible reading and prayer. You you have to go to church. Okay, well, listen, let me ask you, who was it? Did I tell you that the the, the one who uh, had Jeremiah... Uh, thrown in prison and locked in the stocks. It was Pashur. It was the temple leader. It was a guy who was in church. He was in the house of worship every day of his life. So listen, we need to face this as as good as reading the Bible and praying and going to church, as good as those things are in and of themselves, 
they are not sufficient to really form within us the kind of moral fiber, deep conviction that would empower us to hold forth God's truth to the world no matter what. You know, the, the, the uh, Protestant pastors in Nazi Germany were arguably among the most theologically well-trained clergy this world has ever seen. And yet, almost all of them, all of them, they, they, they compromised their commitment to the Word of God to just kind of fall in line with the dictates of, of the, their ruling regime. So, so Bible study, spiritual discipline, they're, they're not enough um, for those who really want to have a prophetic voice in their day. So then where, where can we get that? Where can we get that kind of conviction? Well, look at Jeremiah. Here's, here's what we see about Jeremiah. Apparently, Jeremiah did not only know the word of God. Jeremiah also knew the God of the word. He knew God personally. Again, let me read verse 10. I hear many whispering terror on every side. Denounce him. Let's denounce him. All my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying perhaps he will be deceived. Then we will prevail over him and take our revenge on him. Verse 11. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. The, the Lord is with me, so my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will, will never be forgotten. He, he just says, listen... The Lord is with me. He's right here. And some of you, you know what I'm talking about. What's, have you experienced this? When you're, when you're going through the hardest, most discouraging time of your life, you just have this sense. He's here. I'm not alone. He's here. Verse 12 and 13, um, Jeremiah says, Lord Almighty, you who examine the righteous and probe the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them, for to you I have committed my cause. And then he says this, verse 13, sing to the Lord, give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. He, so, so Jeremiah, do you notice this? He doesn't just know the word of God. He knows God. He knows God himself, the God who spoke this word. Where did he get this conviction? Not just from studying, not just from ministry. Jeremiah knew God. Now, some, someone might say, wow, <laughs> I wish I, I wish I could know God that way. Well, listen, the good news of the gospel is that you can, I don't care who you are, you can know God. Je you know, the gospel tells us that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into this world, died on the cross, rose from the grave, so that, listen, so that through faith in him, you might have a relationship with the Father. You might know God himself. John 1 verse 18 says, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. Jesus makes the Father known to us. You, you can know God. Listen, I believe you can know God even more closely than Jeremiah ever did through Jesus Christ. So if, if you're hungering to know God in this kind of way that would just change you inside and out, that would, that would grip your heart with this confidence in his truth, that would, that would allow you, to, you know, to speak his truth to the world no matter what, if you want to know God that way, the gospel would say, listen, just come to Jesus and ask. Just say, I want that kind of relationship with God.
So that's the good news. And, and church, you know, for those of us who've already responded uh, to that, that good news, let me just remind you, the church is the pillar and foundation of truth. We are called, like Jeremiah, all right, in, in different way, but we are called to take the truth of God to our world. And that is not going to be, it's not going to be any easier for us than it is for him. But we, listen, we can't back down. We can't, we can't compromise. Why? Because the Lord is with us like a mighty warrior. I'll close with this story. In the, uh, the mid-1800s, in the northeastern region of India, a part of India that's uh, it's above uh, Bangladesh, not far from, from the border with Tibet, in the mid-1800s, um, a man who lived up there from an indigenous tribe called the Garo, this man heard the gospel being preached by a Baptist missionary, and he came to faith in Christ and was converted. The man's name was Nok Singh. And because of his conversion to Christianity, Nok Singh and his entire family were killed by their neighbors. As he was dying, his fin- with his final breath, this, this Christian man um, quoted a verse from John chapter 12, John 12, verse 26, a verse in which Jesus says, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Decades later, an an Indian man who was a leader in the Christian movement in India, Sandhu Sundar Singh, he composed a hymn uh, based on the dying words of that man. And uh, so... I don't know if you like this song or not, but when you know the story, you, you, kind of, you can't resist it. The words of the hymn are very simple. They are this. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Church, let me remind you. We are called by the gospel. We are called to come to know God so deeply, so personally, so intimately, that his word becomes like a fire in our hearts, shut up in our bones. It becomes a a deep conviction of our life so that no matter what it costs us, we take his truth to the world. No turning back. Would you pray with me that God will, will do that for us? Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We live in a world that does not want to hear it, but a world that needs to hear it desperately. So we thank you for allowing us to hear your truth, and we pray that it will become real in our hearts, that it will become the bedrock conviction of everything we hold dear, so that we, as your church, will will lovingly take your truth and your good news of the gospel to the world around us like a fire shut up within us, that we will not hold it back. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.